Well, like I said, I grew up in, in Puerto Rico, in a countryside of Puerto Rico. And where I grew up, we had lots of animals, every type of animal. I remember we had goats, we have cows, we have rabbits, and we also, I remember my entire, uh, when I was a kid, we have hens. We have hens everywhere, and hens are not that uh, imposing of an animal. Most of the time, you see hens just pecking around, and, and many times you just see them running away from whatever animal is chasing them. But something very curious happens when those hens have chicks. Once the chicks hatch, you don't want to mess with a hen. You, you don't. They, they, whatever, they run away before. Now they just get big. I, I can't get my, well, I fell trying to ski, so it's going to be half of my normal movement. <laughs> uh, you know, before they ran from everything, now they just get big. They get their wings out and, and attack any animal that will put their chicks at risk. That animal that before run from everything now risks its own life, no matter what animal comes at it to defend their chicks. I've seen dogs running away from hens. A normally defenseless creature identifies anything that could harm or endanger the lives of those in its charge. And it's willing to lay its life to defend them. And that's the picture that Paul is going to give us this morning. Paul, in the first part of the chapter, gives us the qualities that the church should look for in the man called to the office of the pastor. They are to be example of godliness. They should hold fast to the trustworthy word. And now Paul is going to tell us why this is important to the church. Because there are false teachers preaching defective doctrines which put at risk the spiritual lives of those at their charge. And like that hen with its chicks, godly men must identify call out and give their lives to defend their congregation. This false teacher had defective doctrine. Now, what's doctrine? You know, doctrine is what we believe, what we believe, uh, whatever subject. In this case, doctrine is what we believe about the gospel. And defective just means that it's incomplete, that has a defect or an imperfection. That it may sound good, it may sound something that we can believe, but it's not complete. It's not the true gospel. What these men believed about the gospel was wrong. It was defective, and it was having deadly consequences. And this is what I want you to get this morning. We refute Defective doctrines because only the true gospel has the power to save. 
Church, preaching on Sundays, the classes that you go to, the discipleship of men and women, all that your pastors do is aim at helping you build your life on the solid rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is of utmost importance because you are exposed to many defective doctrines that are being preached out there. And today we will see some areas, three areas, that will help us more clearly identify these false teachers. We will see three areas that we have to pay attention to. They have defective words. They have defective focus. And they have defective works. Defective words, defective focus, and defective works. So if you have your Bibles... Go with me to the letter of Paul to Titus. Letter of Paul to Titus. And we will see chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. Titus chapter 1, verse 10. Verse 10, church, this is the word of God. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Once of one of them one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now verse 10 starts with the word for. Four, immediately we should pause and go back and read the previous verses. Titus must appoint elders or pastors in the churches, and they must be examples. Verse 9, he must hold, the pastor, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The leader's foundation must be the the trustworthy word of God, which is the gospel, to be able to exhort and rebuke those who contradict it. According to Paul's argument here, 
one of the reasons for being grounded in the truth is to exhort and rebuke those who contradict the gospel and the sound doctrine. That's Paul's words, not mine. Why we have to do this? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Point number one, defective words. Defective words. Paul tells us in verse 10 that there are insubordinate men who are empty talkers and deceivers. Now, you can see clearly that Paul is not concerned with not offending the false teachers. He calls them insubordinate, empty talker, deceivers. Later, he calls them liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, there's something important that Paul has in his mind to use this strong language. Something important must be at stake. What is it? The gospel is at stake. The gospel is at stake. With their words, they are teaching a defective gospel. Now, why do I say this? Verse 10, especially those of the circumcision party. This description of the false teachers tell us that these teachers were part of the Judaizers. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, so let's go with it. (laughs) The Judaizers were Jewish Christians who taught that Gentile Christians must comply with Jewish law, such as the circumcision, in order for them to be safe. In other words, these people were teaching that, yes, yes, you need the gospel, you need Christ, but you also need to add this other thing to be safe. And there are so many ways we do that nowadays. We do it ourselves sometimes when we say Christian must, and we add to what the Bible says. Oh, Christian must put on that mask. Christian must be vaccinated. Christian must be quiet. Oh, Christian must not go to those type of places. Church, let me help you to clarify something this morning. A Christian is just a miserable sinner who is saved only by the infinite grace of God. It is not about our resolute obedience or the power of our faith. It is grace. It is Christ and nothing else. If not, we are saying the same thing that these false teachers were saying. It is that all heresy that says Christ plus something else, which tells, okay, the gospel, the gospel is is good. It's good, but it's not enough. Trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and receiving salvation sounds good, but it's not enough. There's something else that you must do. And there is one of those ideas floating around that is deceiving many people. Christ and the social gospel. Social justice. 
And many people are being fooled. Church, God saves people from every people, from every nation, from every race. And if someone tells you that you have to do something else than just receiving and accepting Jesus' free invitation to be able to have fellowship with them, that is not the gospel. That is a defective gospel. Those are defective words. In Christ, we are one people. The gospel needs nothing. Christ completed everything on the cross of Calvary. He made us one in him. And of course, of course, the gospel has implications for our lives. Those implications must flow from the truth that there's nothing that you and I can do to add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And notice that when Paul says this, he has you in mind. He has the church family in mind. This is not only for pastors. This is not only for theologians or apologists. Listen to Paul's pastoral heart for you. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. These defective words, these defective teachings is the reason that entire families are being turned upside down. And what does upsetting families mean in this context? What Paul is saying is that the words of these false teachers are pushing these families away from the truth. Oh, and that danger is alive today. When we as parents get fooled by the defective words, we begin to teach and model this to our children. We raise them with this thought in mind, Christ and your good behavior. We don't say it. I know we don't say it, but the things that we emphasize, the way we correct them is communicating that the gospel is fine, but you must add your good behavior. And they grow up rejecting that version of Christianity. And they're right. They are right to do it. That is not the gospel. That is a defective gospel that does not save. But it's not only our children. We ourselves try to gain and to earn God's favor with our behavior all the time. We'll listen to a message on a Sunday morning and all we can get out of here thinking is, okay, I must do better. Instead of looking to Christ, the only one who can save us and fall on our knees and cry out to him to please help us, to keep our eyes on him. He's the only one who can save us. We have come to believe a defective gospel. But here Paul's solution 
They, the false teachers, must be silenced. You must shut them up. Men of Kingsway Church, are you able to do this? Are you studying the word of God, God in, with such a zeal that when you see defective teachings, you react like the hen to protect your own? Are you even aware that the wolves are trying to take them away? Are you studying both the word of God and the culture in order to lead your families? That is your responsibility. Pastors are, are called to protect them. But you men, you men are the leaders of your homes. You cannot ex escape that call. Church, are we looking to silence those who preach defective words? Or are we giving them a platform? Are we buying their books? I heard someone says that one of the dangerous places in the world for a Christian is a Christian bookstore. Do we listen to their podcasts? Do we see their YouTube videos? Do we share those videos because, oh my goodness, such beautiful words. When we do those things, we become those who share defective words because we're not considering what the Word of God is saying. And defective doctrine not only leads us to defective words, but it also leads us to a defective focus. A defective focus. Point number two, defective focus. Verse 11b. 11b. By teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These false teachers are not only teaching a defective gospel, they have a defective focus. First, they do it for dishonest gain. Now, in Paul's time, there were many teachers that went place to place teaching new things. And the people paid them for these new teachings. The more they gave them, the more prestigious that teacher was. And here we have false teachers teaching the churching creed things that they ought not to be teaching, and they're doing it for their own gain. And we don't have to go so far to understand what Paul is saying. There are many pastors and apostles nowadays who claim that they are pastors and apostles, and they're discrediting the church of Jesus. And they're doing it for personal gain, teaching that they're the anointed of the Lord. That the blessing begins with them. And people that do not know their Bibles, that do not read their Bibles, pay attention to this type of people because they have itchy ears. 
And that is making these prosperity charlatans millionaires. But we don't have to be prosperity preachers. We all can be tempted in the area of finances. That is why in the previous verses, Paul says that the man who wants to be a pastor cannot be a lover of dishonest gains. Now, again, could happen to any of us. You can be just a regular pastor that have a couple of invitations in the table from other churches, from other ministries that invited you. And as you look at each invitation, you start thinking more about the hmm, honorarium that they, you think that they're going to give you instead of which place can I be more effective in the preaching of the gospel. That is a temptation. The temptation that people should, should serve me. Because, hey, I've sacrificed so much for the gospel. Now listen as one commentator's, commentator put it. Many of us in ministry develop what business people call missional drive. The expectation that others should do us favors and serve us because we have sacrificed our lives for Jesus. And listen to this. When the ministry is about personal gain and the expectation of personal favors, the power of the gospel dies. In other words... A defective focus leads to a defective gospel. What is your focus? What is your motivation? Now that reminds me of Paul's words in Romans 2, verse 21, when he says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Paul says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? In other words, you who point out and condemn the idolaters, are you committing idolatry? You who point out to the world for its materialism and their greed, are you doing the same thing? Now let's think very hard about this thing. Because using religious language, Christian lingo does not excuse our hearts. Is money your focus? Is money your motivation? Is financial success the only thing that motivates your conversation with your children? Is finances the root of a lot of your conflict in your marriage? If our focus is money or personal gain, we are practically living a defective gospel. This 
false teachers focus on dishonest gain. And number two, their focus on meaningless stuff. Meaningless stuff. The focus of these false teachers is on Jewish myths and command of man. These teachers were using extra biblical myths and fables to give weight to their teaching. And we know from the description of them, those of the circumcision party, that they were trying to get Gentiles, believers, to comply with different Jewish rites. Paul calls the, call these the commandment of men, just like Jesus did in Matthew 15, 7 to 9, when he said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. Tradition had become the center of their teaching. This is how we do it here. This is how you can be a true believer. And because we don't silence them, because we give them platform, we can start developing ourselves a defective focus. And we begin to give more importance to the implications that flow from the gospel than to the gospel itself. A true Christian must, must support this cause or the other cause. A true believer must do homeschooling. Pastors must wear a jacket when they preach. <laughs> the pastor's wife must do X. Oh, church, we don't realize it, but we have many commandments of men to which we submit and teach them to other people because we don't know the Bible. The question is, are you confident? Are you confident that what you practice and what you teach and what you speak about is in the Word of God? Because we laugh. We laugh when someone says the Bible says God help those who help themselves. But are you sure that what we, you do and what you say and what you teach is in the word of God? Oh, the spiritual life of those who listen to us is too important just to leave it to I think it says, this, it says it in the Bible somewhere. Oh, because the consequences are devastating. They're moving away from the truth. We don't only turn ourselves from the truth. We push others away because we put burdens on them that they're not designed to carry and we do it to our children. Let's not impose on them the commandments of men. As if that's what the Bible teaches. It will turn them away from the truth. Let's 
teach our children the beauty of God's mercy. Let's teach them that they cannot save themselves, that they cannot be obedient enough to earn God's favor. And then, then let's teach them that they really don't have to because we're only saved because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. That is a gift from God. That is the gospel. It's not what we do. It's what he did for us. But here, Paul is not only focused on the church families. We have Paul's pastoral heart again here in display. Paul also have in mind the souls of those false teachers. And I know, I know it's a little difficult to see because Paul uses such strong words. He tells them the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and it's kind of when he spoke to the Galatians, right? Remember, he used very strong language. Oh, but, hmm, Paul, I don't think you should talk to them like that. Don't you think that they're going to get offended? Oh, the problem with our culture is that we are more concerned with not offending men than with not offending God. And Paul is not playing that game. But offending is not the ultimate goal. Paul is calling their attention. He wants these people with effective focus to be sharply rebuked. He doesn't say, well, you know what? Everybody is entitled to their opinion. It's okay. It is their truth. No. No, rebuke them sharply. Why? Why? That they may be sound in the faith. That is Paul's approach. Call their attention so that their focus is corrected, so that their focus is on sound doctrine, that their focus is the gospel. Paul is focused not only on the recipient of the teaching, He's also focused on the soul of those who are teaching those defective words. We must correct in the hope that God will use our efforts to bring the person to true repentance, to true faith. That's the same that Paul said in Tim to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25. We correct others so that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do its will. We do not refuse to make ourselves more important or better. The point is true repentance. For all to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Defective words lead to defective 
focus that results in the effective works. We refute the effective doctrines because only the true gospel has the power to save. Point three, the effective works. The effective works. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Now we've seen the effective words, the effective focus, and now at the end Paul tells us that their works, their testimony, what, how they behave is giving them away. He says they profess to know God. They speak beautifully. They say, hallelujah, blessed brother. Some speak about how God speaks to them, how God works through them, the miracles that they have witnessed and the miracles that God has done through them. But their fruits give them away. With their lips, they worship God, but their hearts are far from him. And not only that, Paul says, going further than that, he says, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. In other words, nothing that they do is considered a good work. Everything that they do is defective. No matter how impressive No matter how many people seem to benefit from these false teachers, to Paul, they are abominable, abominable, and useless. Good intentions are not enough. Hell is full of God, of good intentions. Now the question, the question is why? What is it that makes them useless for the kingdom of God? I believe the key to answering the question is in verse 15. Verse 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their consciences are defiled. Now, these false teachers are preaching a defective gospel. A gospel that says you need Christ plus something else. The problem is that everything they do and everything they try to add to the gospel has the result of driving them further and further away from God. And sometimes that's what happens when you don't have the right focus. Whatever you try to do has the result of pushing you away. Now, Gonna give you a short illustration. When I was a teenager in Puerto Rico, I went to the beach with my cousin. We were doing uh, body boarding. We both got in the beach. We started, you know, playing around the waves. Suddenly, an undercurrent started dragging us away from the shore. We try to swim as hard as we could. We try, we try, we try, and at the 
as much as we tried, we kept drifting, drifting away. Our efforts to try to go to the shore had the result of pushing us away. That's what happens when we don't have the gospel in the center. Our works, what we do, what we try to do, will have the result of pushing us away. It is the gospel, only the finished work of Christ that has the power to amend that relationship that was broken in Eden. The sacrifices, the commandments of men, their obedience to the law are useless because they are incredulous. Because their gospel is a defective gospel. The gospel that they believe and the gospel that they preach is a gospel without power. It's a gospel that at the end cannot save anyone. Therefore, everything that they do, all their works are impure because it's coming from a heart that is away from God, that is far from God, an unbelieving heart, a heart that although they profess to know God, it is far from Him. Doctrine matters a lot. It does matter. But on the contrary, <laughs> on the contrary, for the pure, for those of us who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, those whose hearts have been cleansed and made white as snow, for the pure, everything is pure. It is not that we do not submit to biblical ethics to what God has called us to do, but rather we do not submit to human rules and ethics because it's God. It is God who determines what's pure. He's the one who tells us that for the pure, everything is pure. Why? Because whatever we do, whatever we do is no longer us who live, but Christ that lives in us. Because our works done in Christ are acceptable to the Father. Because God sees us through Jesus Christ. And because we are in Him, we are His body. Our works are perfected in Him. It is not that in ourselves we can do any better than any other person. It is that in Christ, the perfect one, our works are perfected. Oh, are you aware of this, church? You are in Christ. And because you're in Christ, you can strive to obey God, not to earn his approval, but because you are already being accepted by him. Because he loves you. That is the difference. Works do not save us. Does not save anyone but the believer's work glorify God. And we see that at the end, Paul says that both their mind and their consciences are defiled. And now, with this at the end, everything makes sense. The mind of these false teachers is completely corrupted. It is dead in trespasses and sins. 
their mind is defective. And a defiled mind has a defective thought, which produces defective words and defective focus. And that produces defective works. And the consequence of that train is that they deny God. And for Paul, that is the biggest problem. That is why these false teachers need to be sharply rebuked. Because these men who proclaim, who profess to know God, deny him. They behave like the culture. They lie. And with their words and with their deeds. And the name of God is blasphemed because of that. Because the gospel that they have and the gospel that they teach, instead of saving sinners, instead of giving them hope of eternal life, it puts burden on people that push push them away from God. Their gospel is not good news. A gospel that tries to add something, whatever it is, to the complete work of Christ on the cross, it is not the true gospel. It is death. Only the truth that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves but that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, became man and lived a perfect life, the life that neither of us, no one could live, to die on a cross, that death that we deserve for our sin that was put on that grave, But three days later, he resurrected, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, that he's seated at the right hand of God, that he's reigning over everything. And one day he will come for his church. Only believing the true gospel, people will be saved. That's the true gospel. That is why pastors must be blameless men. May our preaching and our testimony be aligned. Because God who does not lie, who cannot be mocked, is watching. And at the end, a defective gospel cannot save The call of this passage is to refute false teachers. Like the hen with her cheeks, or chicks, chicks. We are to protect God's church. That is the same image that Jesus gives us in Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus tells Jerusalem, that many times he wanted to gather them together like a hen, gather them under his wings. And I want you to see 
The same wings that the hen used to fight off the dogs are the same wings that they used to harm, to warm and protect their chicks. For those men who have the privilege to be called to the pastorate, with our words and our preaching, we are called to exhort and encourage our congregation. And with our words and preaching, we are called to refute and fight off the wolves. And I know, church, because I've seen it, that has been your pastor's passion at Kingsway. To protect you. But that has an effect on their souls. They pray for you constantly. They are burdened when they see you fall into sin. They suffer with you. But I'm sure they consider that a privilege. So I have a challenge for you, church. Let's pray for them constantly. So that through their preaching of the true gospel, salvation will reach, reach Richmond, Virginia, the United States, and to the end of the earth. Church, let our passion be to know the true gospel in order to refute the effect of gospels because only the true gospel is the power of God for salvation. Let's pray. Oh Lord, let your Holy Spirit open our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. That our hearts go after the true gospel. Holy Spirit, we need you to be able to fight off the wolves. Give us a discernment to be able to see when defective gospels have been preached to us so that we can protect our family, so that we can protect our church, so that we can bring glory to you. Oh, let Kingsway be a beacon of hope that by preaching the true gospel, you may bring salvation to this land. That is our hope. That is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.